Thank you. You can uh, be seated. Uh, you can be opening your Bibles to Genesis 46. Um, I, it does, uh, I, I said it last week, I want to say it again this week. It just excites me. Uh, I, I enjoy being in the gym. Um, I know that's a beautiful building over there and all, but I think sometimes we let the formality get to us. And uh, I sure enjoy being a little closer in with you and, and a little bit more uh, intimate. I, I, what? Church for Kids. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I had that in my mind, but Andy prayed too long. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he didn't pray too long. You can't pray too long. But uh, Church for Kids. Yeah, if you are a kid, have a kid, want to get rid of a kid, that's where they go right now. And I'm only joking about that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, yeah, we have a, a great uh, group back there that helps them. And uh, uh, during this time, they learn about the Lord on their level. So anyway... Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm glad to be here uh, with you. The carpet is down uh, in most of the auditorium. I think the platform's not done just as I glanced through the window this morning. Uh, but uh, we're, we're very, very close. Um, all those trucks out there, if you didn't know, those, those trailers, they are full of pews. They didn't have to stack any on top of the other. They got them all in there. But they, uh, they had to label them, put them in a certain order, going to bring them back in in a certain order because they're not as interchangeable as you might think. Um, so they're going to put them right back where they were. So uh, anyway, um, we'll be soon back in there, but uh, don't forget, I, I, used to, I started to say, I used to think about the early church, uh, you know, 3,000 people meeting every day to know Christ. I don't think they went home, took a shower, put on nicer clothes, and came back. They just went from work to wherever they were headed, and, uh, and, and uh, what they wore and that kind of thing wasn't such a big deal. They got in a small space with a few people, and they learned about God from His Word in hundreds and hundreds of homes around Jerusalem. So anyhow, um, so in Genesis 46, you know, when you're telling a story, it's a movie, a book, a TV show, there's the climax. It's when everything kind of comes to a conclusion. It, it just, that's the big deal. It hits. Um, but what you may not think about is the climax is not really the end of the story. It's just where it kind of gets resolved and then there's always a few minutes, a few moments where they're tying up loose ends. Well, life is like that too. And where we come to in the book of Genesis as we've gone from 1 through 46, I'm going to refer back to several of the sermons we've already preached today because this is coming to a bit of a climax. And that is the third patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And technically we say that the, the heads of the tribes were also patriarchs, but not like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob we come to the place where he and 70 of that family go to Egypt and there God incubates them over a few hundred years to become a nation of over a million people, very possibly. Some even estimate two million or more, but about a million more than likely. And it is there that God grows them into a nation and then uh, makes them want to leave and brings them out again and brings them back to Israel. So, I want to read to you the first five verses, even though you have a Bible and it's open there. But I want to read it to you, if you'll stand back up with me, if you don't mind. And let me read the first five verses of chapter 46, because that kind of sets the scene, and then we'll see the rest. So, Israel took his journey with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. 
Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. As always, Lord, we need you to open our eyes of understanding that we might behold wonderful things that you've put into your word. Unfold it to our understanding, Lord. Open us up so that we receive what you have for us in this day. May you be glorified in, in all things that are done. Lord, may you add people into the kingdom uh, because of your word. Lord, we want to uh, indeed cast crowns at your feet for you alone are worthy. So Lord, we pray that you would uh, uh, use your word as we speak it, as we hear it, as we practice it to accomplish your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. I, I'm, I'm talking about fear of the future today. And that is uh, just a, a, a way for me to talk about this passage. Because this, there's just a lot of historical detail in here. But you think about Jacob, and he has been 130 years in the same place, basically. Been doing the same job, basically. And now he's being asked to take his whole family and move several hundred miles uh, away and start all over. And, and so the question becomes, that might be a little bit frightening to do, is, is just as I thought about it. And so I, I want to ask you, have you ever had to start over or start something new? Many times in my life, I've started something new or started over, and, and there's always some, some emotion with that. I, I remember my first job. I was 13 years old, first paying job. Uh, I was a paper boy. Uh, that was back when, uh, you know, a news organization would spend a lot of money having a building with a printing press and paying reporters to bring in stories and to publish those and then entrust the delivery of that to a 12-year-old boy on a bicycle. That's just kind of uh, odd to me now, but uh, back then that's how it worked. And, and, uh, and, but just before I got that job, my mom said, if you take this job and you do this, you're not going to quit in three months. You're not going to be a quitter. Uh, yes, ma'am. So I kept it eight years, <laughs> you know. Uh, I did it all the way through college. I, I, I had a paper out because that's good money for the time invested, to tell you the truth. But, but there was a little bit of fear there about not being able to do it or, 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 or failing in that. I, when I started college, am I, can I do this? Is it, am I smart enough? Can I do this work? And, and uh, I, I guess so because I got through it. Um, I had one professor ask me one time, are you going to dare take a diploma from us? And uh, Yes, sir, I am. Um, but uh, when I got married, it was, it was scary. Uh, I, I, was, I was terrified of, of, of marrying the wrong person, that, uh, that I couldn't fulfill God's call in my life. And as you know, I believe that marriage is because that we can serve God better together than we could apart. And God has blessed me, obviously, uh, with, a, with someone who's made me only better all my life. Um, when our first child was born, terrifying. When our second child was born, more terrifying. When our third child was born, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> That's always scary, bring home a new baby, isn't it? I was so scared when, when Savannah was born. Uh, I remember when Janice's mom said, I'm going home now, and I broke out in a cold sweat. It was like, oh no, what are we going to do? It was, I, I was a kind of a, a afraid of that. And, and the funny thing, Janice, for some reason, uh, ever since 
you know, we were married, she thought I really wanted a son. Well, you know, I just wanted a child. I didn't care as a boy or a girl. I just wanted to be one or the other. I didn't care, uh, you know, what, what they were. But in her mind, I really wanted a son. And so Savannah was, was not quite two when Cameron came, our, our second daughter. And as soon as Cameron was born, the doctor said, it's a girl. Janice said, what do you think to me? And I said, I think weddings are expensive. <laughs> this, two girls, two years apart, this is not going to work out well. So anyway, uh, but, but you know, it was, it's always a little bit frightening, anything you do. And every new assignment from the Lord, it's, it's a starting over. And it can be scary to us. But you know, th- there's more than that that can cause fear. There's a lot more serious things. There might be people in here today... And maybe you're facing like a bankruptcy or, or the breakup of a family or, or children going astray. And it can become a paralyzing fear. It can become a fear that you don't know what to do. To, to have been a, a, a pastor, preacher all my life, um, I, I've, I've helped in a lot of accidents and, and emergency situations for some reason. I don't, I don't, I don't get how that happens, but I, I don't know if I've just been at the wrong place at the right time or whatever, but... But when our third child, our son, was born, Janice had something called placenta previa. You may be familiar. But it's where the, the placenta is in the way where the baby needs to get out. And so they saw that. They warned us about it. Doctor said, you'll start spotting at home. Call me. Come straight down to the hospital. We'll meet you there because it's going to become an emergency. Well, she didn't spot. She busted. And she was just pouring blood out of her body. And I panicked. I didn't know what to do. And I said, what do I do? She said, call the doctor. I mean, she's bleeding out. Call the doctor. I said, what's his number? She had to quote his number to me. And, you know, it's a wall phone, you know, and I'm calling. And, you know, you're trying to get that number. I wasn't really a rotary, but made the story more dramatic, didn't it? <laughs> so, uh, so, so I get the doctor, and I said, she's bleeding. It's, it's, she's burst. It's, it's horrible. He said, get her to the hospital. I said, shouldn't I call the ambulance? He said, you don't have time, and hung up on me. Well, that helped me get a little bit of confidence, I'm just telling you. I was scared to death. I was almost paralyzed. And here's Janice bleeding out, telling me what I need to do. Maybe you've experienced that kind of fear. I don't know if you've ever had a fear that it would stop you. But think about, think about Jacob. 130 years old, same place most of those years. And now he's going to a foreign land. What kind of anxiety and fear did he face? I believe the text lets us know that he, that he had a little bit going on there, that there was a little bit of apprehension there. Hey, I don't know, have you ever felt that in your life? Here's what I want you to take home with you today, and that is your Father God does not want you to fear His will. Father God does not want you to fear His will. God prepares us for our life, and your life is His will. You, you know, sometimes we say that, you think, oh, well, God didn't call me to do this or that or any big thing. He made you specifically to serve Him in the specific way He made you. And so your life should be a following of God's will in your life. And that ought to bring some fear, especially if you're not doing it. Uh, listening to a song coming over this morning, and, and uh, the song is called, The Time Is Now. And, and at the end of the course, it says and we should repent of not doing it. It was just, it, that's, I'd never heard that phrase in that song before. I've heard that song many times. And it's the first time I caught that, that, 
the singer and songwriter was saying that you need to repent of not having done it before. That the time is now. We need to be doing it. And so, God doesn't want you to fear doing His will. In fact, here's what the Bible says in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The word perfect in the Bible doesn't mean without flaw. It means to complete or to finish. And so... As, as believers in Christ, here's what we understand. That there, and I always go from left to right. I should go this way because you're looking at me. So this would be the first stage over here, wouldn't it? And so there comes a time in your life where you know that you're lost. You know that you're a sinner. You understand that, that you need a Savior, that you need someone to help you. And so you open your heart and your life to Christ, and He comes in and He saves you. But guess what? As I walk from that point on in my life... All this journey, he is saving me every day. I don't have full redemption. But the Bible promises that one day when I get there, that he will complete that work. I will be perfected at that point. In 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. But it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, when we see him, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. So I was saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. And God is completing that because of his love for me. He will perfect me in love. Well, as we look at this passage and the few verses that I read, those first five verses, I just want to point out a couple of, a couple of things. Uh, Jacob gets to a specific place, and I'm going to come back to that. And there he sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. He, he, he knows, that, okay, it's a big change. God is doing something. And he pauses to worship God and offer a sacrifice. And sure enough, that night, God speaks to him. But guess what? This isn't the first time God spoke to Jacob. And it's not the first time God spoke to him in that place. In exactly the same place. And he answers God, here I am. But notice it says, God spoke to Israel. But then in the text, God calls him Jacob. Jacob is that word deceiver, but Israel is the name given to him by God, representing the, the whole nation uh, that would be born from him. And God said, I'm the God of your father, and then catch it. Do not be afraid. There's the word. That's where I get that maybe Jacob was feeling a little bit of fear. And of course God knows that. You know how many times in the Bible God says, don't fear? He tells Joshua that before he goes into Jericho. He, he tells that to all the disciples. He, don't fear, don't fear. When Jesus makes his first appearance to the disciples after his resurrection, the first thing he says is, be at peace, don't be afraid. Over and over and over, God tells us not to fear. And do you know why? I, I illustrated salvation, and sometimes we're afraid about salvation. Sometimes something in circumstance in your life, you're afraid of what's going to happen. And you're, what if I, this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if, guess what? That's called worry. And worry is trying to deal with tomorrow's problems with today's grace. You know, there, you can read in Acts and you can read in the Bible, not only Acts, the whole Bible, that God's people sometimes were persecuted, sometimes put to death. There have been Christians who have been put to death for their faith. We see it in Acts. We see some of our greatest saints that were killed. 
And in fact, there came a time in church history when people desired and sought out to be martyred for Christ. I don't think you ought to seek it out. But when it comes, God will answer your prayer. God will be with you in that moment. And we will see that as we look further in the test. It says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will bring you back. Well, God can't bring him back unless he's with him the whole time, right? And, uh, and Joseph will close your eyes in death is what it means. And Joseph's going to be there. And so when we fear tomorrow, we are using today's grace for that. I wish I, wish I could say that I would not fear dying for Christ. But I know that's not quite true. I, I mean, I believe that I won't be if that ever happened. I, I really don't expect it to, but it could happen. But I know this, that God will answer that prayer. Yes, in 2 Corinthians 1, it says, as many as may be the promises of God in him, they are yes. We get all the promises, even from, uh, from the Old Testament, are made true in Christ. And in that moment, God would give me the grace. He will be with me to go through that. Do you understand that? And fear is when we forget God and start looking at that. We, we will talk about it a little bit more later. And so... What we see here is Jacob is about to leave, but here's what I want you to catch where he's leaving from. In verse 1, he came to Beersheba. In verse 5, he will go out from Beersheba. Now, I, I listened to one guy talking about these verses, and he made a joke because the first four letters spells the word beer. And then he said, quit chuckling, we're not all 12-year-olds. But what I learned is you actually, y'all are just looking at me funny. Okay, I'm sorry. You don't find it funny. You're looking at me like, what is he talking about? I'm sorry. But it, it, our English translation is Beersheba, but it's Be'er Sheba. It's two words, actually. And it means the uh, a well of an oath or the well of seven lambs. And we're going to see where that comes from in just a second, that Abraham names this place. But God met Abraham there. He met Isaac there. He met Jacob there twice. But the first person he meets there is Hagar. Now, if you'll remember, back in Genesis 21, we get the story of Hagar. She was Sarah's servant, and God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child, and it wasn't happening, and he's 100 and she's 90, and through up to that time, they are trying to figure out how to do God's will their way instead of waiting on God to do his will his way. So you can just trust his promises, but we always rush ahead and try to help him. You know what I'm saying? So that's what was going on. And so Sarah said, well, here's my handmaiden. We can have a child by her, and, and it'll work out. Wrong. It never works out. No house is big enough for two women. I can tell you that from experience and from the Scripture. Um, and and it, just, it just doesn't work. And so eventually Sarah gets jealous. She doesn't like that child. And she said, you got to send her and him away. And so Abraham does that. In chapter 21, so Abraham, early in the morning, it says in verse 14 of chapter 21, took bread, a skin of water, gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. Now, he was, he was a bit older at this point. He's about 17 when this happened. But when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. She went down and sat opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. And he said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And check this out. And God heard the voice of the boy. And 
an angel of God came and he said, what troubles you, Hagar? And fear not. God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand. I'll make him to a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and saw a well of water. She was sitting right by a well of water and thought she was thirsting to death. How many times did we do that? God's got it right there, but we don't see it because we're looking at the problem and not at God. And so as soon as God shows it to her, she sees it, fills the skin with water, gave it to the boy. He became an expert hunter. And this is Ishmael. This is where some of the uh, people of Canaan come from. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran. His mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. She had been sent away. She's at the point of dying. And God comes to the rescue. God came near to her. And he took care of her. Second person we see at this spot of Be'er Sheba is found in Genesis 21. And it's Abraham. And, and he's been having this argument with the king of of that area, the king of the Philistines, his name was Abimelech, and, and uh, Abraham had dug a well, and Abimelech's people were taking it from him, and Abraham talks about it and says, I want to pay for this, I want to pay for this land. And so he gave him seven sheep, seven lambs, and he said, this is going to be the payment, and this is settled, this is what we're doing, and that's how it got the name Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. They made a covenant at Beersheba. But uh, then Abimelech and Phicol, the command of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. I want you to catch something in that passage I just ran over. It's Genesis 21, 30 to 34. Because in the prior verses... Abraham has formally made a covenant with Abimelech to own this, this well. And he gives him that seven sheep, and it secured his right to that well forever. And Abraham had dug that himself, but Abimelech's people had been trying to get it from him. But having secured the ownership of the well, Abraham puts down roots by planting a tree. How many of you ever planted a tree? Yeah, I just, I just did uh, last Christmas, and it's it's actually growing. It's pretty cool. I, I'm enjoying that. If you don't know, I grew up on the coast of South Carolina, down around Charleston. And my dad loved black walnuts. I mean, it's just one of his favorite things. And uh, I know we got plenty of black walnut trees here, and they're a nuisance to most people around here. It's just like, I got to blow all that mess. But my dad would have taken every black walnut you had, okay? He would have opened them up. He would have picked out the meat. He would have gladly done that. He loved that. So he decided one day to put, plant a black walnut tree in our yard. And guess what? We never got any walnuts from it. You know why? Didn't live there long enough. You don't plant a tree for yourself. You plant a tree for your children and grandchildren, right? It's interesting that at this place is the first time the name El Olam is used, which means everlasting God. Now Isaac's going to sit under that tree. Jacob's going to sit under that tree. Abraham may not have ever had that opportunity. And so it's a symbol of this everlasting covenant. When we come to the end of Revelation, trees are pretty important in the Bible. There's a lot of trees, a tree of life, a tree, knowledge of good and evil. Uh, we see the fig tree, Jesus cursed, the tree that uh, Jonah sat under. There's tons of trees. This is one of them. This one grows to about 30 feet. But... We come to the end of the Bible in Revelation. It says, 
there's this throne of the Father, and Jesus is on a throne at his right hand. Where's the throne for the Holy Spirit? There's three persons, one God. Well, they each get a throne, where's his? But it says between those two thrones flows a river of water that waters the tree of life. And it runs down the middle and the tree spreads on both sides and it gives a new fruit every month. And the nations come and they eat that fruit and it heals them. In other words, you're not going to die. Your body is always being regenerated. That new body is going to give us in heaven. And so trees are a symbol of who God is and what he's done in our life. I think it's kind of interesting that at Beersheba he plants a tree to the everlasting God. Well, Isaac shows up there in Genesis 26. And Isaac, the Bible says, the Lord appeared in the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, I'm with you. I'll bless you. I will multiply you uh, and, uh, and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And that's where he placed his tent. And Isaac's servants dug a well. They had to keep digging this well for some reason. And they have trouble, people wanting uh, that well. And at the end of this passage, Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from them in peace. And the same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said, we found water and he named it Sheba or Sheba. And so it's still called Beersheba to this day. Same spot, Beersheba. Genesis 26. And then... Jacob shows up in Genesis 28 and verse 10. And Jacob doesn't, God doesn't speak to him in Beersheba at this point. But he leaves from there the first night that as he leaves there, he camps. And that night God appears to him and he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You'll spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south, you and your offspring, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. That includes us. Thank God. Gentiles get to get in on this. Right? You say, well, I'm not a Jew. I'm not, I'm not a person of God. Well, Romans 2 says they are not Jews who are those outwardly. The end of Romans chapter 2, you can look it up, make sure I'm right. They are not Jews who are Jews outwardly, circumcision of the flesh, but they are Jews who are Jews inwardly, the circumcision of the heart. Paul argues in Galatians that we are the spiritual children of Abraham that because we have accepted the covenant of faith, that by faith we believe God, and it's counted to Abraham for righteousness, and because we believe in the righteousness of Christ, that his righteousness counts for us, we are the spiritual sons of Abraham. And so Isaac, I mean Jacob here, Here's God say that I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And then he says, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you. And when Jacob wakes up, he says, surely, how awesome is this place? Surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. This is the house of God, the gate of heaven. So it becomes Bethel, but he came from Beersheba to get there. And, and so it's, it's just... That God is always working, it seems, in this place. And that brings us to today's text. Jacob, in verse 5, sets out from Beersheba. In verse 1, he was in Beersheba when God speaks to him again. And then the chapter lists the 70 people. Let me read all their names. No, I ain't going to do that. I'm just kidding. Number one, I probably couldn't pronounce them all. Number two, 
Uh, but it, it's important, it's interesting. God specifically tells us the very names of the people who go. Seventy names. He wants to make sure that you know that he knows and he's keeping up with who is what and where and how. And God is involved in those details. That all these people go and as I said in a few hundred years they become a nation that leaves. And so here in this text we see that Jacob is leaving from Beersheba to go. And, and he takes lock, stock, and barrel. He doesn't leave anything behind. Takes it all with him. Leaving 130 years to go to a place that he's, that he's not been in. A foreign place with foreign gods. You ever thought about that? Joseph and this family still worship the true God. But they live in a country of other gods. But God even isolates them in that nation. Because the Egyptians didn't want to have anything to do with the shepherds. So they stuck them in Goshen. But that's the best place in Egypt to live. It's the only place where you got green grass. Even to this day, you can go on Google Earth, look up Egypt, and you can see there's this, this green wedge in Egypt. That's the delta of the Nile, and that's the land of Goshen. And so, but here in chapter 46 and verses 2 to 5 that we read, notice that God spoke to him and said, I am going with you. You see, the power of fear is only effective when we take our focus off God. All those people, Hagar, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, something was going on in their life. Isaac's uh, getting a, uh, going to be getting a wife, and, and, and Jacob is journeying to find a wife, and Abraham is trying to dwell in a place, and there's a conflict with the people. Hagar, she thinks she's going to die, and something about Beersheba, God brings them to this well, this source of water, and Jesus said that out of our innermost being would flow a fountain of living water. He wants to put that well in us, that well of living water that is the Holy Spirit flowing from between the throne. Are you connecting all the dots? God says that I will be with you. And fear can only be effective in your life when you take your eyes off God. Many illustrations of that in the scripture. One of the most famous that I could just say and you'll get it. I don't have to explain it. It's Peter in the boat and Jesus walking on the water. Right? Get out of the boat. Walk on the water. Sure, come on. But when Peter quit looking at Christ, he began to sink. I will point out that Peter did walk on the water. Okay? Uh, just he, he quit too soon, but he did do it. And so God calls Jacob, and, and he's fearing. He's afraid of what's going to happen. And so that's why God calls him Jacob. Don't go to the old man. You're now Israel. Don't believe that. I'm going with you. He makes his presence known and tells him not to be afraid. We love to quote Psalm 23, but we stopped too early. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Well, that makes it sound like, yeah, I'm tough. I can do it. But the next part says, for you are with me. This is the strongest promise in the Bible. And when we come to it, this climax, Jacob is about to go to Egypt and God's about to take these 70 people and turn them into a nation. And God says, I'm going with you. I got this. I'm in control. Don't worry about it. God makes his strongest promise and he even promises to bring them back. I want to ask you, what fear keeps you from serving the Lord? What fear keeps you from talking to your neighbor about Christ? What is it that stops you from getting out of the comfort zone of being in this building to talk to somebody who really needs the Lord? And I don't mean just that they're lost. They may be lost, but that 
Everybody needs the Lord. There's nobody that doesn't need the Lord. They may be going through something special, and God wants to use you to help them get through that. You see, God doesn't want you to be paralyzed by fear. He doesn't want you to be motivated by fear. Some people like to motivate others with fear, but that's the worst motivation in the world. Because if you can get away from the fear, you'll quit doing what you need to do or what they're trying to get you to do. But if you have love for somebody, you will keep serving that love, that love for that person, even if they're not around. And God says, I love you with an everlasting love. When we don't even know God's presence, we can trust that he is there and that he loves us because he's promised and he cannot lie. We want you to be motivated by his love in Christ and the knowledge that he's leading you every step of your life. Fear will keep you from doing God's will. But courage is being afraid, but motivated by God's love, you do his will anyway. Now I'm paraphrasing a statement comes from the world. Uh, it's attributed to John Wayne. I don't know if he's the first guy that said it or not. He may not have ever even said it, but it's a definition for courage. Courage is being afraid, but saddling up and going anyway. And that's what our soldiers do. That's what people do. It's not that we're not afraid. People say, how do you get up there and preach? I'd be so afraid. So am I. Every time. It never goes away. But I'm motivated to do God's will. And this is what God asked me to do. Right? You, you understand that, right? God may not ask you to do this, but he's asked you to do something. And are you motivated enough by his love to do his will, even though you might be afraid. Um, I follow a, a yearly plan to read the Bible every year on the YouVersion app on the phone. And the YouVersion app gives a verse of the day. And guess what today's is? Listen to this. It's Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. That was today's message. I, I mean, I didn't know that. I, can't, I didn't read ahead or anything else. I don't know if you can even do that. But that's what popped up today. I thought, wow, God's pretty cool. <laughs> Isn't that neat that he would bless us that way? You say, but I'm not a Jew. I've already covered that. Yes, you are. In the sense that you're the people of God. And as many as may be, 2 Corinthians 1, the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. He made the Old Testament promises effective for us. He gave us new promises in the new covenant. And, and, and our understanding of what God is doing, that he actually lives with us, he comes in us so that we don't have to wonder, is God around? Yeah, he is. He's inside you. Everywhere you go, you take him with you, if you're a believer in Christ. And so we don't have to fear where we go. So I, I, I've got a question for you. Where is the place of your deepest fear? For those people I mentioned, it seemed that Beersheba, they wound up at Beersheba. At that moment of fear, God met them there. I don't know why Beersheba, I don't know what's going on there. But that word appears much more in the, New, in the Old Testament. It, was, it sort of formed the border of Israel. He would say, and I'm going to do this from Dan to Beersheba. It seemed to be a, a border town of, of what God was up to. 
So where is your place of your deepest fear? I, I wouldn't want you to answer that out loud. But what is it you're most afraid of? What is it that is hindering you from following God's will? You cast out fear by looking at God and by looking to God. Here's a couple of verses, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let's love one another for love is of God or from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Now that's a pretty strong statement. We like to quote that, but think about that. If you don't have agape love in your life and, and that kind of love for God, you don't know him because God is love. God is that giver of himself to us. And then in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 8, you know this story of Jesus in the boat. It's a very interesting story. They're trying to cross the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus goes to sleep in the bottom of the boat. And Unless I'm missing my guess, I think, I think I'm right. That was not a boat with decks. That was just a big boat, big enough for those guys, but it was just an open boat. And Jesus is asleep in the bottom, and the waves are washing over the sides. And there's such a bad storm, they think they're going to die. And behold, a great storm rose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. How do you sleep getting thrown, water thrown in your face? I don't understand that. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. Here's the question. What kind of storm does it take to sink a boat Jesus is riding in? And if Jesus is in you, in your boat, what do you have to be afraid of? I would say nothing, but that's too much. Erase the edges of the zero. It doesn't exist. It's not even represented by a zero. It's less than zero that you need to be afraid of. I'm not saying fear won't come, but don't let it control you. Let the love of Christ control you. And so the third thing I tell you is face the future with confidence that God is with you. Now, that's only for the believers. You might be here today and you've never come to a place where you've opened your life to God and said, God, come in, make me new. I want to belong to you. I know I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior and, and, and I accept all of who you are. And you get adopted into God's family. If that's never happened to you, God loves you enough. He wants that to happen. He says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only one-of-a-kind Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And if you come to God, He will never leave you or forsake you. He tells us that in Hebrews. He tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can, can tear us away from God. Jesus said that we are placed in the Father's hand. And in the middle of His hand, no enemy can get to us. Everything in your life is the will of God. And you don't have to fear any of it. You might have to go through it. It might be tough. God may not deliver you from it, but He'll be with you in it. That's what Psalm 23 is about. Even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear because God's with me. I tell that story, uh, this story a lot. It, uh, I use Psalm 23 if I'm speaking at a funeral mainly. But I like to illustrate those verses this way. I, I told you I, I grew up near Charleston and we got big cockroaches there and I don't like them. They're scared of them. 
And my mom would send me out at night to get bread out of the freezer to make sandwiches. I think I might even tell you the story in here. And you turn on the light in that little shed, and there's cockroaches everywhere. And I'd be afraid to go out there. It was dark. I was a scared little kid. I'm, I'm glad perfect love casts out fear. And I'd say, Daddy, would you go with me? I mean, it's 10 steps. It wasn't that far. I'm just scared. I mean, not, it's 10 steps for an adult. It's about 20 for me. And he'd say, sure. As long as my dad was standing there, I wasn't afraid of anything. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. I pray God is with you. What would it look like if all of us decided to live our life as if God was actually with us? Because he actually is. We would be fearless warriors for God. And that's what he wants you to be. You like the story of Gideon, don't you? They found him hiding in a wine press. The angel said, Hail, you brave man of God. He said, Who are you talking to? <laughs> and God used a scared man to do a great, courageous thing. God can do that with you too.